Hey, all right, go ahead and grab a seat. It is good to see you guys. My name is Caleb. If we haven't met before, I would love to say hello to you before you take off. Uh, you should see one of these on your seat, uh, or maybe it's stuck to your butt. Either way, this is on your chair. Um, and uh, these are just little invite cards that you can give to people to invite to Easter. Man, I would love for you to give this to somebody this week and just you've got one on your chair, just hand it to somebody this week. Maybe someone that you work with, maybe a family member, a friend, a neighbor, maybe it's a total stranger, maybe somebody bothers you and you say, hey, you need Jesus and you can give this to them. However you want to do it is up to you, but uh, grab one of these before you leave and uh, invite somebody to Easter. As Sarah said, we have a big party every single Easter. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'd love for you to join us for that and uh, bring some friends and family to, to hang out with us as well on that day. Uh, we are are only we have a couple more weeks left in this series uh, this week and then next week and uh, we will wrap up the letter that we've been in looking at uh, the book in the Bible really a letter in the Bible called First Timothy where Paul writes to another pastor named Timothy helping him to to really help the church to grow stronger to experience life that God wants them to experience so I'm gonna pray for us and then we will jump into the sermon for today God I pray that even now you would Help me to, uh, to communicate your word, that you would move in our hearts to receive from you what you have for us today. You know the names of every person in here. You know the hairs on our head. You know what we've gone through, what we're going through, and what we will go through. And you know what we need to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak to us, that you would convict where needed and comfort where needed and lead us in our lives. We want to listen to your voice and be led by you today, Jesus. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. All around us, all the time, we're encouraged to want things that we don't have, right? I mean, whether it's commercials that you see or ads that you see or you log into your Amazon page. I was, I was on my Amazon page this, this morning and, you know, it shows a list of things that you don't even know that you want, but it tells you that you want. It says this is inspired by your search history and gives you a bunch of different things. Or it says other people that bought what you bought also bought this. Don't you not want to miss out also? And you then maybe click on something and then all of a sudden on your Facebook newsfeed, that thing shows up again. And then on Google, it shows up again. And then you're walking down the street and somehow somebody has an ad for it. It's just everyone's working together in concert to help us want things that right now we don't have. You never go on to Amazon and it says, you know, hey, we don't actually think we, that you need anything more, so we're not going to give you any more recommendations. We think you're probably good, right? That doesn't happen. We're always encouraged to want things that we do not yet have. We're encouraged in our culture to actually be discontent. That is how the whole, um, the whole kind of commercial industry works, is to show you things and say, you don't have this, you're missing out. You don't have this, other people do. And that's true with all sorts of things in our life. It's difficult for us then to be content. Right? Isn't it difficult to just go through life? Isn't it difficult to, let me just maybe, isn't it difficult to walk into Target and just walk out with what you came in to buy? Isn't it difficult to see? I, I knew I was going to get an amen on that. Isn't it difficult to walk into the grocery store even and just with your list and just walk out with that and say, you see, I pickle chips. I haven't had those in a while. You know, I mean, isn't it difficult? To, no one needs pickle chips, right? Uh, I mean, it's difficult to go through life content. But if you can be content, I mean, if you can actually be content, if you can actually just say, I've got what I need, I have what I have, and, and I'm not just talking about with stuff, but just in any area in life. If you can be content, that's powerful, right? I mean, if you can be content, if you can look at your life and say, hey, maybe I don't have tons of money and I'm, and I'm not broke poor, but man, I've, I've, I've got what I've got and I'm good. If you can do that financially, that's powerful. If you can do that with your status, your relationship status, if maybe you're married and you kind of miss some of the freedoms you have, but you can say, hey, I'm, I'm content. And maybe you are single and you, instead of just pining for that person, you're able to just go, hey, I'm, I'm content. And I'm not saying that you, you don't desire something, but you're able to just say, hey, I'm, I'm actually content. If, if you're able, maybe, maybe, you don't, maybe you don't love your job and, and you don't hate your job, but you're able to just say, I'm, I'm content with this. I'm actually content. That's powerful, right? 
And maybe you've experienced that at different moments in your life, and maybe you have that right now, or, or maybe you're really struggling with that right now. You look at your life, and you feel discontent, and you feel the pressure from around you. To, that it's not. I mean, this is so crazy. The world around us isn't trying to help you. It's not trying to help you. You don't ever see a commercial that just says, we think you should be content. You don't need this car. And then that's the end of the ad. You don't, no one's trying to help you be content, right? I mean, the world around us, whether it's with your relationships or with your job or, or with your stuff, whatever it is, is trying to help us be discontent. And yet, we know if we can be content, that's a powerful thing. If we can actually be content, man, we make good choices, because we don't make choices out of desperation. We don't make choices out of, I've got to have this thing, so, so then I'm going to buy something I shouldn't buy, or I'm going to be with someone I shouldn't be with, or I'm going to do something I shouldn't. If we, if we can be content, and we make good choices. We, we actually make better spending choices. We, we're not greedy trying to get stuff that, that we shouldn't try to get. We're, we're able to even make choices out of wisdom and maybe long-term or out of purpose that align with our values. We're, man, when we're content, it's powerful. But it's very difficult to actually do because the world around us doesn't encourage us in any way to be content. But what if we could have that? What if the circumstances around us didn't control us? What if we could be content? What we're going to look at in this section is Paul helping Timothy. It's kind of, in some ways, like a counseling session that we get to peer into because as he's closing the letter, he's wanting to help Timothy battle against the temptation to be discontent, to covet, to, to want things that he, that he doesn't have in comparison to another group of teachers, another group of leaders that he will say are discontent and actually encouraging discontent in people, he's going to walk Timothy through how to be content. And that's, that's what we're going to look at, man. What if we could actually be content in our lives? And, and Paul's really kind of going to talk about materialistic kind of things, but you can look at that with all sorts of areas in your life and use the same principles and say, what if I could be content where you're most discontent right now? Maybe that's where you need to start is look at your life and say, where are you most experiencing discontentment? Where is it right now for you? And everybody's different, right? Where is it for you right now? I was thinking this week about my own life and stuff where I go, okay, yeah, there's some areas here that, man, I struggle with some discontent. What, what is it for you that you would go, this is where I'm most experiencing some discontentment. How can we actually be content? That's what Paul wants to help us with. So to, to help us to be content, we first have to answer this question, which is where does discontentment lead? This is what he's going to help Timothy to see. If you want to be content in your life, if you want to be content, one of the most helpful places to start is to say, okay, where is my discontentment going to lead me? And if I am discontent and I follow that to its natural kind of conclusions, where might that lead? And here's what, here's what Paul gives to us. He, he talks about, I mentioned, these false teachers that we've looked at throughout this book. And mainly what's happening with these false teachers, he's going to say, is they've lost their focus on Jesus and they're teaching other things. They've lost the focus on talking about Jesus and the good news of what Jesus came to do. And instead, they're talking about this idea and this kind of speculation or this different ideas. And hey, what about this? And what about, they're, they're kind of lost focus on Jesus and they're gathering people to themselves, which leads to all sorts of different drama and division and fighting and all sorts of stuff. But Paul says, here's what the root of it is. Here's where this is coming from. Why have these people lost focus on Jesus? Why is it creating all this tension? He says the, the heart of it is these people are discontent, that they're coveting, that they love money. So let, let's, look at, let's look at what he says here. He says to Timothy, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, which is living in relationship to God and who he is and what he's done. He is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. This is what has happened with these false teachers. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil, suspicions, and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. And here's the core of where this is all coming from, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. 
But godliness, now he's going to say what the opposite of that, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. So he says, here's these false teachers. Here's, here they're teaching things, and it's, they've lost focus on Jesus, and it's creating division, and it's creating tension. And at the root of it, at the bottom of it, why, what's motivating these people? Where is it coming from? And he says, here's where it, here's where it begins. They imagine... They imagine that godliness is a means of material gain and then goes on to talk about the opposite of where their heart is, which is that they are coveting, essentially. Now, here's the thing. Discontent or coveting, if you want to use kind of one of the Bible words for that, it starts nice. It starts nice. You see something. You see it and you go, that's interesting. I I want that. You see it on Amazon, you see it on Facebook, you see it in someone else's life. Often that's what happens, right? We look at someone else's life and it starts nice. It starts where we feel, man, I, I want that. I desire that. We might even feel inspired. It might even have positive feelings where we actually go, man, that would, that would be so cool if I could have that. That would be so cool if I could experience that. I'm coveting is desire, or the word that he uses here is it's imagination. Think about that. That's what coveting is. That's what discontent, be, where it begins, is imagination. He says these people imagine, which is they have a vision, they have a picture in their mind, they have a picture in their heart of what could be. Now, I mean, this is, I, I don't know, I mean, I guess I could say this about a lot of things, but this is in many ways the American sin, Right? that we don't even believe is a sin. We don't even think there's anything wrong with this. We, it's the American dream. In some ways, we could just call the American coveting to say, I want this. I envision this. I desire this. I imagine this. That's where it starts. And it doesn't feel bad. It doesn't feel wrong. It even often feels good. We envision life with better things than we have now, with different things than we have now. He's talking about material gain. He's talking about money, but maybe that hits you where you are today, and maybe not. Maybe you need to think about it just in other areas of your life where you experience discontent. But here's what he says it leads to. It starts, it starts with just our imagination, our desires of what we want and what we think could be but it leads to something. Here's what he says happens. Those who want to be rich, those who are discontent, those who covet, those who desire something, here's what ends up happening. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now again, look what he says. Those who want to be rich, these people that love money, the craving, it's this desire, this want, this imagination. And he says, here's what it eventually leads to. Here's what eventually happens when, when you're discontent in your life. And I don't know where that is for you. Maybe it is with material stuff. Maybe it is with money in your life. Maybe it is with your financial situation. Maybe you're not where you want to be financially. Maybe it's with relationships. Maybe it's with work. I mean, it can be all sorts of different things. But here's what Paul says. Here's where he says it leads to. It leads us ultimately into temptation which means into sin, into things that are not what God desires for us, into things that are not what God's will is for us, and then into a trap, which means it's hard to get out of. It means it's hard to get out of. You see, you, it, starts with, it starts with imagination or the opposite, maybe discontent in your head of just focusing on the bad of your situation, and it leads to temptation, and it leads to a trap, which means it's hard to get out of, and then it leads to making a lot of foolish decisions, making a lot of dumb choices. I mean, you, we should be able to look at our lives and go, yeah, I've, I've seen that happen. There's something I wanted, 
and then I wandered away from what I knew was right, there's something I wanted which led me to make dumb choices. It led me to go to places I shouldn't have gone. It led me to be with people I shouldn't have been with, to do things I shouldn't have done. I wanted something. It led me to wandering away in some way. And then it led to, man, I experienced the brokenness of that. I experienced the fallout of that. I experienced the pain of that. That might be what brought you here today. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of things bring people to church. Maybe you're just looking for a church. Maybe you're just bored. I don't, I don't, but a lot of times people go, man, my life ended up in a place that I didn't want it to be. My life, and maybe you can actually go backwards and go, yeah, I was discontent in my life. There were some things that weren't the way I wanted them. And so I wanted something. I wandered away from what I knew was good. And I feel now I'm actually trapped in life, I've been, he says, pierced with many griefs. And man, my life is, it's been messed up. And maybe you're actually here because you're saying, man, I want help. I, I hope there's a way out of this. I mean, we can see this in high profile cases. Sometimes it's easier in other people's lives. Someone makes the news and, you know, I think about, this is several years ago now, but a couple years ago they made some, a couple different documentaries and movies about Bernie Madoff and kind of the whole Ponzi scheme thing. If you watched any of that stuff, and it's this desire to be rich that leads to foolish choices, that leads to being trapped. And man, how do I get out of this now? It's kind of too late. One thing led to another. And then, man, destruction. And we can see that in the high profile cases, but you can look at your life probably. And maybe it's not that extreme. Maybe you, you wouldn't describe it as, yes, I've been pierced with much destruction. Maybe you wouldn't say that. But you can look at your life and go, man, I, I pursued a relationship. I, I, I knew I shouldn't have. I wandered away, and it messed up some stuff. Or I pursued a substance, and I knew I shouldn't have. And I felt trapped, and it led to foolish things. And, man, it messed up some stuff. Or... Financially, I mean, our, our, our world, um, well, not our world, but America, our culture is in such debt. I mean, the debt is through the roof. Where does that come from? Discontent. To say, man, I've got a certain amount of money, but I need that magic plastic, baby. Give me something else. Give me something that leads me to have what I actually don't have. And then oftentimes you're trapped. It's hard to get out. Foolish choices, and it leads to life being kind of messed up in some, some ways. Maybe you've experienced that relationally, where there's foolish choices that you've made because of discontent, and it's harmed relationships in your life. It's things that you wanted, and you wandered away from what you knew it was right, and friendships broke. Or you've got now strained relationship with your kids or with your spouse or with your parents or other family members or other people in your life. This is where he's saying discontentment leads us. Now, it's hard, it's hard to kind of get into this because he, here is what happens. When we imagine, it feels fine. Right? No one's, no one's just envisioning their life or building their dream board or, or you know, imagining what you could have one day and go, this is going to lead to destruction. No one feels that way, right? It feels good when you're doing that. And so it's important to listen to Paul who says this. It starts with the imagination. It starts with the desire. It starts with the discontent. But eventually, eventually what happens is... You end up somewhere you weren't hoping to be. You end up trapped. You end up hard to get out. You end up in a place where you say, this is not what I was hoping life would be. So this is what Paul starts with. How do we, how do we be content? He says, look, I, I want to first of all just warn you. I want to first of all warn you what can happen. Wants him to see, wants Timothy to see, wants us to see that discontent is a bad leader. It leads us to places where we eventually experience the pain of it. That's step one. The second thing is just to go, okay, so how do we actually get contentment? Maybe we need to be warned of the dangers that can happen, but how do we get it? How do we, how do we actually experience then contentment in life? And here's the next part that he gives, and it's really just two simple words that we'll look at. But he says, but you, so instead of doing that, Instead of like these false teachers having this desire, this love of money, this, this desire for material gain that, that creates in them a discontent towards the things that God has created. Instead of that, but you, 
man of God. Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It gives us these two words. How do we actually experience contentment? Maybe you need to be warned of what happens with discontentment. I think that's important for us because as a culture, it's so normative to be discontent that we have to actually hear there's a warning. There's a warning to it. But secondly, he gives us these two words, which is pursue and flee. See, normally, here's what our experience is. Normally, if there's sin in our life, whatever that is, it, normally when there's sin in our life, we know it's bad, usually. We know it's bad. And we say, hey, nobody's perfect. Maybe I'll think about changing. Maybe there's some areas in my life that I'm going to consider. Yeah, I, maybe we even say, yeah, I struggle. I struggle with that. But we have a pretty casual approach to it. We have a pretty casual approach to it, but what he says is flee. That's a strong word, right? To say, hey, there's things in your life, there's the love of money, there's discontent, there's areas where you might be wandering away from God, and here's the approach, here's the posture I want you to have. Not, ah, yeah, I struggle with that. Not, yeah, it's hard. Ah, man, no one's perfect. Not that, but flee. So I want you to, I can't be honest for you. I can't look at your heart, but I want you to think about that. Is that your posture? When there's the areas in your life that you go, those are not good. Maybe the areas in your life where you are discontent. Is your posture flee? I, we don't, I was thinking about this. We don't use that word very much, right? I mean, we, we don't think, you probably, it's not in your normal vocabulary to say, yeah, I was fleeing the other day, right? I mean, that's not, like, that's just not something we say. Uh, the, most of you, I'm probably, even if you think about this, haven't really ran away from something. I mean, maybe at some point in your life, maybe you, you know, when you were at some point in your life, you ran from the cops and, you know, or I, I don't know. But that's, you probably haven't ran from something other than another person if you, like, did cross country or something. But you probably haven't ran from someone or fled. That's not a common experience we have. I, I know I was trying to think, man, if I ever ran and there's some stories I'm not going to tell. And then I was also like, well, okay. So the only like normative experience was that I used to, as a kid, as I think, I don't even know if most kids did this, but at least in my neighborhood, we did knock on doors and then run away. You know, that's the only time I can think of fleeing is I not one time I was like, I knocked on this guy's door. He was so quick to open the door. I jumped behind this bush right in front of his house. And then he turned on the lights and it, like I knew that, you know, a bush is good in the dark, but if it, if it lights up, you can see through it. And I just stayed there, though, because I'm like, this is so awkward. What am I going to do? Stand up and say, sorry, you got me. <clears throat> but so that was, that's some fleeing that I've done, is fleeing from someone. There's, and, and why? Like, why do you flee? There's some danger, right? And maybe you fled from spiders. Maybe that might be the only thing that you've been like, you see a spider and you run, or, or bees or something, whatever you're scared of. Maybe someone in the store that you used to know and you duck, you know, maybe you fled from that. I don't, it's not a common experience that we have to flee. And so I don't think we really grasp totally what that looks like or what it is. But Paul says that needs to be our posture towards discontent. That needs to be our, instead of it actually being cultivated, instead of us actually thinking about it, or even just sin in general in our life, instead of, oh, I struggle with that. And I, or, man, yeah, no one's perfect, and maybe one day I'll get around to that. I mean, look, I, you've got to make it practical for yourself. What are the areas in your life that you know, maybe, maybe God's even putting it on your heart right now, that you know either that there's discontent or that you say, this is an area in my life that is sin. Are you fleeing from that? Does that describe your posture? Or is it to be annoyed with it? to entertain it a little bit, to struggle with it. He's saying, here, here's what Paul's saying. Discontent, sin in general, it will destroy you. It will bring many sorrows and griefs into your life. And, and one of the words that he says, one of the things that will happen here is that you will wander away from the faith. 
Now, when you think about wandering away from the faith, you, your mind might go to, oh yeah, kind of leaving the beliefs that you had, and there's some truth to that, but ultimately to wander away from the faith is to wander away from Jesus. It's to wander away from a person. And, and what he is saying is, God doesn't want you to wander away from him. Have you ever experienced a relationship that you never, you never just, I don't know why I was going to grab this, but I guess, you, you never just picked up the phone and said, I'm done with you, click. Phones don't actually even make the click anymore, which is sad, you know. I'm done with you, you know. It's not as dramatic, but especially if you have the sound turned off, it doesn't even do that. But you've probably never, you, maybe you've done that to some people, but a lot of people, don't we just relationally wander away from them? You go, yeah, we used to be close, but kind of wandered away. And look, I'm, there's good reasons for that. I'm not kind of trying to make you feel bad about all your high school buddies that you, you, you know, you're going to call them up tonight and be like, man, I haven't talked. I'm not trying to do that. But we usually wander away from people. And Paul is saying here, God doesn't want you to wander away from him. He wants you to be close to him. He wants you to experience the closeness of relationship, that depth of intimacy, that, that unity. He wants you to experience knowing him and enjoying him and all that life is with him. And, and he says, so I don't want you to wander away from me towards these other things. Instead, flee from that stuff. Because God knows it pulls our hearts slowly, usually, away from him. Most people don't wake up. Look, you know this if this is what's beginning to happen. Most people don't wake up and go, whoa, I'm so far from God today. Yesterday we were so close. But we experience a wandering. Maybe you, move, maybe you used to be close in, in college or in some city you used to live in. And maybe that's even, I, I talked to many people in Denver that this is their experience. They've been here for now a few years and go, man, I haven't been to church in like three years, five years. And we're glad that you're here, but it's so easy to experience that wandering away, which is why what God says is, I want you to flee. I want you to flee, but, but not just to flee. That's, that's kind of the reactive, but also to pursue. See, it's both things. It's not just to run away, but to pursue, to flee away from discontent, to flee away from the love of money, to flee away from those sins in our lives that might draw us away from God, and to then pursue, to have an active approach to all the things that Paul listed, which were righteousness, which is loving other people and having good relationship with other people, and godliness, which is our relationship to God and enjoying Him and knowing Him in all life, and love of other people, and faith, which is faithfulness, in this context, and gentleness and endurance to keep going. He says, I want you to pursue those things. See, he said, not discontent, not material gain, not the love of money, but you. So instead, here's what you do. You flee and you pursue. So same thing with, same questions we kind of asked with discontent. If you think about your posture towards growth, Think about your posture towards righteousness, treating other people the way God intends them to be treated. Think about your posture towards relating to God in all of life. If you think about your posture towards love and faithfulness and endurance and gentleness, if you think about your posture towards those, would you say that it's pursue? Would you say it's, I'm, I'm actively going towards it? Because again, pursue isn't something very common for us. What have you pursued? Usually when we think of pursue, if you say, here's what I'm pursuing, fill in the blank, it's usually going to be something, interestingly enough, financial. I'm pursuing this career. I'm pursuing this promotion. I'm, maybe, you're, maybe you even have, maybe you're literally pursuing. I'm moving. to. Maybe that brought you to Denver. Maybe it's what one day you're going to leave Denver is because you are pursuing financial gain. You're pursuing a promotion. You're pursuing success. You're pursuing your goals. I'm not saying there's a bunch of stuff that's evil and wicked and wrong with that, but what I am saying is, you look at what Paul is saying, he's saying our hearts are prone to pursue material, to pursue financial, to pursue uh, our goals and success. What would happen if we actually pursued righteousness and godliness and love and faith and gentleness and endurance and had the same, I mean, have you ever been willing to move across the country to pursue those things? 
Have you ever been willing to rearrange your life and schedule? We do that all the time financially. And people move all the time for a job or promotion. I, I don't know if I've ever talked to somebody that said, I, the reason I moved to Denver is to pursue godliness, to pursue righteousness, to pursue love and faith and gentleness and endurance. I mean, it's natural, it's innate in us to say, I pursue my goals, finances, success, promotion. He says, what if you took that same posture to pursue this? You see, to, to be content, we need to flee and we need to pursue you need not just abstinence from things, I won't do this stuff, but a focus of energy. See, part of what creates contentment in us is when we are fleeing from the things that hurt it, but we're also actively filling our lives with the things that God desires and intends for us. That actually creates a contentment because now we're actively moving towards what God has for us in our life. It's not just that you're saying, fine, I won't do that stuff and I'll just sit here mad. You're actually saying, okay, I'm fleeing this and I'm going after the stuff that God wants for me. He's giving us a positive vision to focus on. If, I don't know if you've ever played sports. I'm um, not that sporty, but which that even just shows how unsporty I am. I use the word for like sporty spice instead of actually <laughs> athletic, but um, I'm not very sporty, but I do remember when I played basketball for the YMCA, not the school, but I played because they have to take anybody. Um, when I played basketball, that there was a, it was not, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't say, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. Right? You don't just focus on the negative and say, don't do the negative. It's, Paul doesn't just say, flee, flee, flee. You don't just say, don't miss, but you say, okay, I'm going to try to envision actually making the shot. Make the shot, make the shot. You know, your, your cheerleaders, they never cheer and say, don't miss, don't miss, right? That's not what they do. They, 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 oh man, okay, so they say, make it, right? And either, and that's what you're supposed to do. It didn't work for me, but that's what you're supposed to do is focus on the positive vision of stuff. And that's what Paul's saying. He's giving us both. He's saying, flee and make the shot. Flee and pursue this. Have this as your focus and your drive. That actually creates contentment in us when we're fleeing the things that are killing it and we're running towards filling our lives with the things that God actually wants our life to be filled with. Here's what's interesting about this is these are more the things that he gives us, flee and pursue. They're more than just do this and don't do this. It's actually, you can see a deep and this is just kind of the phrase I came up with for this, but it's just a deep heart energy. If you think about what's going to create contentment in my life, it's not just don't do this, do this. When he's giving us pursue and flee, he's saying there's a deep heart energy. This posture, this passion, this urgency, this ferocity that describes, that is so interesting because that's not normally our experience. We don't flee a lot of things. We don't pursue a lot of things. But what if we had a deep heart energy that said, I am not going there and I am running hard after filling my life with righteousness and godliness and faith and love and gentleness and endurance. I'm, I've got a deep heart, passion, urgency, energy moving in a direction. So if we want to be content, it first starts with seeing the damage that discontent can cause. And then second, we need that deep heart energy. But that leads us to the question is, what do we need then to move our hearts to create that deep heart energy? If, we, if the way that we experience contentment is a, a heart passion to flee and to pursue, what moves our hearts like that? What helps us? If that's the secret to contentment in some ways, what is it that we need to actually be operating and active in our heart to do that? And here's, here's what's important to know. It doesn't just happen. You can hear it today and go, okay, pursue and flee. All right, pursue and flee. I got it. But that's not going to just happen. You won't just walk out of here today and all of a sudden be a pursuer and a fleer. That's not going to happen. It needs focus. It needs work. Discontent doesn't just go away and contentment isn't just created. He says it takes effort to have our hearts move like that. Look what he says next. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life. See that? That's, a, that's an active effort to say this won't just happen. You need to fight the good fight of the faith. You need to take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you've made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is talking about his, the moment that he was baptized when he confessed in front of people, this is the life I have with Jesus. This is what I have been called to. In the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, talking about when Jesus confessed who he was, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time, saying, man, I want you to keep living this way, keep experiencing this all the way until Jesus comes back or you meet him face to face. You see, what we need to move our hearts, first of all, we need to understand this. It takes a deep focus and effort. The words that he uses is fight the good fight and take hold of the eternal life to which you've been called. I love that phrase. Really, take hold of the eternal life is just kind of explaining even more of what fight the good fight means and how we pursue and how we flee, but to take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Here's why this, I love this phrasing. First is because this, he's writing, remember this, he's writing to a pastor. And I don't know what you think about pastors, but at least in this case, at least with Timothy, we assume, hey, he's spiritually mature. He's been around for a while. He knows God. He loves Jesus. He's, he's, in, he's in a place of spiritual leadership that he's, he's not just kind of uh, just starting out in his life. There's some maturity that we would say in Timothy is present. And yet, you know what Paul is saying? This isn't just something that is for all you wackos and sinners whose life is falling apart. He's saying no matter how mature you think you are, no matter how far you think you've progressed, maybe you say, I've got life, I've got eternal life, I've got life that Jesus gave me, I've got the salvation he gave me. He says, you need to take hold of it, though. You need to take hold of it. See, there's a difference between having something and taking hold of it. There's a difference between if I, if I have this in my hand and it's kind of wobbling around, there's a difference between this and really grasping it deeply. There's a difference between having something and holding something where you've got a deep grip on it. I, I have this game that my brother bought me a long time ago, and it's kind of weird to even call it a game, but it's, it's got four different handles that you hold, and then it makes a sound, and it goes, and then it stops, and everybody has to press a button, and the last person to press the button gets electrocuted. So, right, it's twisted. So, um, that, and I mean, it's not like you die. It's not like an electrocution that you have to go to the hospital. But it, it's got several settings, and one of them does hurt very bad. Um, it's also something that I, I can see, you know, on some of your faces, some of you guys are like, can I borrow that? Because it's like, ladies would never, it's just the difference between guys. I, one guy borrowed it for his bachelor party, which is like, that's guy's idea of like, I'm about to get married. Let's get electrocuted. And I would, ladies would never have that for like the baby shower. Be like, hey, we're going to play shower games. This is the guest, the baby name. This is the electrocution station. Like that's not going to happen, right? But the, the funny thing with the game is, and if, if any of you guys want to borrow it, you can, but the funny thing with the game is if you, like when people first play it, they really try to cheat because you just kind of have it loosely in your hand and then throw it basically as soon as the light goes off. But the people that are like, hey, I'm going to really play this, you grip it. And if you don't grip it, if you don't hold it, you're not going to feel the power surge through you. You're not going to feel the electrocution reach your heart. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to happen. If you just kind of loosely have it, but you don't hold it, you're not going to feel the power that it's intended to have. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, look, I want you to experience contentment. Something has to move your heart so that you flee and pursue and part of that, it's going to take effort and energy, which means you actually have to take hold of the eternal life to which you've been given. To grasp it. Deep, here's another analogy if electrocution doesn't ring your bell or whatever. Is uh, marriage. Oh, what, what, when, I, when I do weddings or if you've been to weddings or if you've been married, what, what do they say? They say to have and to hold. 
do you take this person to have and to hold? You see, that's not just saying physically, are you going to give them a hug? It's saying, yeah, you have them, but are you going to hold them? Are you going to grasp onto them? Relationally, are they going to be one with you and it's going to be a part of your, you're going to have, yes. There's a difference between being married, between having a marriage and holding. See, that's what God wants for us. What God wants is he says this, I have given, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, this is what, this is what Paul is saying. Here's what's happened. You have been given life with Jesus. You've been saved. If, if you're a Christian, God has forgiven your sin. He has cleansed your shame, your sense and your feeling and your experience of I'm not enough and I don't have worth and I don't have value. He has dealt with that. He has completely forgiven you and given you his righteousness and adopted you into his family and said, you're mine, you belong to me. He's given, you have it. And he says, I want you to hold it. I want you to take hold of the life to which you've been given, to which you've been called. I don't want you just to say, look, I know this is a temptation for so many of us to say, yeah, I became a Christian a long time ago. I grew up in a Christian home. I, yeah, I have it. He says, I don't want you to have it just I want you to hold it. I want it to surge through your body and you to feel the power of that. I, I want you to experience deeply the forgiveness, the cleansing, the adoption, the love, the grace that I have given to you. I want you to hold it, he says. See, to have and to hold is what he wants us to experience, which means, look, this, there is so much more to life with Jesus than sometimes we even know. It's not just a moment in time where you are saved. It is a life of experiencing who he is. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is what God says, I want for you. See, it takes effort, but, but the difference between the shocker game or even um, a spouse is it's not a physical grasp. It's not a physical grasp that creates this heart energy. It's not a physical grasp that, that gives our hearts the energy to flee and pursue. It's not a physical holding on to. It's a spiritual holding on to. Now, how do you hold on to life eternal? How do you hold on to salvation? How do you hold on to the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for you? How do you hold on to that? It's not a physical grasp, but it's a spiritual grasp. Which we get then by seeing over and over again who he is and what he's done. Which is why the next thing that Paul says is, is this. See, he says he wants him to take hold of it, and then he reminds him who God is. He reminds him who Jesus is so that he can take hold by sight, spiritually, to see again. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power, Amen. And these words, honor and eternal power, is kind of summing up what he just said here. The, the powerful God who's sovereign and king of kings and lord of lords and honor, which is this glory, this, this otherness, this beauty, which is unapproachable. He says, you need to see. You need to grasp again by spiritual sight who he is. And here's how this works. So you want your heart to have the energy to flee from the things that you're discontent with in your life or to flee from sin in your life? You want your heart to have the energy to pursue what God wants to fill your life with? That happens. It takes effort. We have to hold on. We have to, we have to fight the fight. How? By spiritually seeing again who God is. And he gives us two things. There's a lot we can see about God, but he gives us two things that I think directly attack discontent and the coveting heart. See, remember, coveting comes from imagination, what we envision, what we see, which means we need something bigger to envision, to imagine, to see, to fill us. And he gives us the two things, power and glory or power and honor. You see, money is power, right? And you, can, you can admit it. Money is power. If you have money, you've got power. But he says, you know what's more powerful than money? Maybe, maybe you're discontent in your life because you want money. 
And if you have money, you know that will give me more control over my life. It'll give me more power over my life. I'll be more stable. I'll be more secure. I'll be able to make more choices and have more control over things in my life. And he says, you want power. You know what you need to see? You need to see that God is the sovereign, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who is filled with power and control over all. Man, money has power. But it's nothing compared to the God of all power. It's nothing compared to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's nothing compared to the the sovereign over the universe. You see, if that begins to fill your sight and you take hold of that, you don't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I was saved. But you say, I need to take hold again by spiritual sight of who Jesus is and what he wants for me. He's a God of power. He's a God of control, which means I might not have money, which would give me power and control, but I have a God of all power who's on my side. I have a God of all power who cares for me and loves me. I have a God of all, the king, listen, if you're a Christian, the king of kings, the Lord of lords is on your side. He's for you. That doesn't mean that every single thing in your life is gonna go the way that you want it to go. Of course not. Man, we're going to suffer. We're going to feel pain and brokenness in a world that has fallen. But it does mean, it does mean that the God of all love and control and power is actively working for good in your life. Whether we always know it or not. We think money does that. He says, you need to fill your vision again. Maybe you don't have money, but you've got something better than money. Maybe you don't have the power that money brings, but you have the king of kings. That rhymed. And then he says, there you go. You can, it's my rap album coming out. And then he says, not just the power, but the honor, the glory. See, it's the same thing. Money, money we often feel like will bring us this, this honor. Money will bring, see, there's different reasons that we want money. There's different reasons that we want what it brings to us. Maybe it's the power and the control over our life, but maybe it's the appreciation of people, the respect of people, the approval of people. Maybe you want that job not just so you have more money so you're in control, but so that people see, hey, man, good job. Wow, you, whoa, you do, that's, wow, that's what you do. That's pretty cool, the prestige, the honor. And he says, we often want that because that's what money brings but we need to see that God is the God of glory and honor and power. You see, maybe you don't have the respect that money brings. Maybe you don't have the appreciation, the accolades, the approval that money brings. But if you have the God of all honor, the God of all glory, who is so glorious, so special, so amazing, that he says he's unapproachable. That people can't even look at him because of how amazing and beautiful and glorious. Like the more glorious someone is, the less likely you are to be able to look at them. The more amazing and glorious someone is in our culture, the less likely, I mean, you've never been face to face with the president. Maybe you have, I don't know, but, you, you, but it's hard, right? That's not a common experience. You've never been face to face, or maybe you have, but again, it's hard to be face to face with some celebrity, and not like C-list celebrity, like I met Montel one time, you know, but like, but like, but you've never been face to face with like Tom Cruise or Denzel or, or uh, Ryan Gosling or whoever it is for you, right? You've never been face to face and just been like, man, because the more glorious, and I know that's just like what the honor and the glory that we assign to them. I'm not saying they have more inherent value than us, but the honor and glory we assign, the more special it is the harder it is to be close to them, to approach them. He says, God, man, no one can even see him. No one can approach him because that is how special, glorious, amazing. And he's saying this to say, look, you want, you want to have a heart energy that allows you to flee and pursue. Remember that maybe you don't have the honor, the respect, the value, the specialness that money brings, but you have the God that is all honor, all specialness, all glory that says you're mine, that says I give you life, that says you belong to me. Like how cool would you feel if you were just walking arm in arm down the street with Denzel? 
Maybe you wouldn't walk like that with Denzel, but, you know, I don't know. You're just walking. He's at least talking to you or whoever, you know. I, love, I, we were, I was just watching Remember the Titans last night, so that's why Denzel's on my mind. Um, but you're, I mean, that, you're going to feel special, right? He says, that God, you might not have what money brings, the prestige, the glory, but you have him. And he's with you and he's for you. And when you grasp, see, that's what salvation means. Salvation means you've been adopted into that family with that God as your father. But he doesn't want you just to have that, but to hold it. But you have to have spiritual eyes to grasp it again. So you want to be content? You want to be content? We need to see the damage that discontent brings. We need to flee and pursue. And when that happens... We experience great gain, he says, that godliness, to live in relationship with God and who he is, to enjoy him with contentment, is great gain. And when we come to take communion, what we remember is that Jesus came to this earth, his body was broken, his blood was shed, that, listen, he lost everything to give us everything freely to give us life, not just in a moment in time, but to experience. He was willing to lose it all so we could gain it all. He was willing to lose all honor and power so that we could gain that with him. He was willing to lose his life, his status, his wealth, his even intimacy with God for a time so that we could experience all of that. When that begins to get into our hearts, We have the heart energy to want to flee, to want to pursue, and to then be content, which is deeply powerful. It's untakeable, unshakable. So let's pray, and we will sing and remember this great God that we have. Father, I thank you that you have given us life with you. I thank you that you have given us salvation. And not just to have, but to hold that you want that power to surge through our body, to experience it fully. I pray for every person in this room that you would help us to flee the sin in our life, particularly discontentment and coveting and the love of money. Help us to flee that and to pursue you and the life that you want for us. May that be more and more deeply real and may that truth get inside of us even as we sing. In your name, Jesus. Amen.